Pride Institute is an LGBTQ-specific treatment center for substance use disorder and addiction. Pride was first opened in 1986 as a direct response to the HIV-AIDS pandemic. We provide care to adults 18-plus in residential and outpatient settings. I'm Luke. And I'm Kaylee. And together, we are the co-hosts of the Proud Voices podcast for Pride Institute. So, yeah, I'm Mallory. I'm an alcoholic. And um, I initially, so I had never heard about pride um, before. I think it was around the age of of 25 or 26 when I was introduced. I was actually inpatient at an eating disorder clinic. um, And my therapist previously worked at pride um, for a few years. And, um, after we had worked together and, and realized that I, you know, it was the best option for me to get sober. She, she essentially said, you know, you're going, um, you're going to give this a shot and, you know, I think it'll work for you. And, and that is when I, um, first went to pride and that I believe was in probably around 2014. And so did you find that your abuse was directly linked with your eating disorder? eventually that was something I eventually found. Um, you know, I, for some reason I was okay with being more open about the eating disorder, um, than the, than the alcohol use. And I think that that may be because there was more shame related to, to my drinking habits. Um, but yeah, definitely. I think the more that I was drinking, you know, my, my tendency was to restrict food. Um, so they kind of went, went really hand in hand. And I found that when I was able to get a little more sober, um, you know, I was eating a bit better. Um, but it, it, yeah, definitely, definitely a relationship with the two. When did the eating disorder start? And then when did the substance abuse start? Or I guess when you noticed it started to elevate? Yeah. So like when I look back, um, the eating disorder definitely started, uh, around the age of 14 or 15 and that, you know, I had gone on some medication for depression and, um, you know, I'd gained some weight from that. And, and so I leaned on using those other behaviors, um, through eating disorder, you know, to lose weight and, and to feel accepted and wanted by others. And it was at 16 that I had my first drink and, um, I might've been 15, 15, 16, but I, and like, right when I had that drink, it was like, yep, this is for me. This is like, it, it felt immediate that like this, there was something, I I don't want to say like special, but almost in a way special, um, that, came from drinking alcohol for me. Um, and then, you know, the, the two kind of went hand in hand off and on, um, you know, over the next 12 years or so. So Mel, um, I want to dig a little deeper into your background and I've heard your story before. So would you mind talking a little bit about, um, your like coming out process and how that was related or not related to drinking? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so for me, I knew from a really young age where I stood with my sexuality. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, in grade school 
and I'll mention this because I think it is kind of important as to how I became a little bit less open and I kind of refrained from being that like goofy um, child that I was. Um, I was on a, a camping trip with with uh, one of my best friends and um, we'd gotten the back bunk in the camper and we were on top just kind of giggling and goofing around and um, you know not weird right you you're you're little you're eight you're nine whatever and you're you're hanging out with your best friend and of course you're probably gonna sleep in the same bed or quite near each other and we were just kind of giggling and, and we joked about kissing. And so we did. And, and she kept giggling about it. And I went back to kiss her again because something in me really enjoyed that. And she pushed me off um, the top bunk onto the floor. And I, I remember I just laid there um, and it didn't move. I like froze and I just laid there for the rest of the night um, and af- after that, like, I just, something within my heart and soul, like, shattered. Like, I felt so different and so wrong and so just, um, I don't know, something shut down. And, fr- you know, I, I became really insecure about who I was. And, um, you know, throughout the years, those insecurities never, never went away. Um, and... I, you know, I dated a lot of guys to like really ensure that people, you know, knew or thought that I was straight. And so, um, it came to this one relationship that was, you know, between the ages of 18 and 22 and we lived together and, and it just came to a head. Like all of a sudden I just, I couldn't take it anymore. And, and I packed my bags and I was like, I'm leaving, like, this is why. And, you know, it sucked because he was a great person and, and, um, I know that it broke his heart, but I had to take those reins, um, and, and just be real with who I was. And, and it wasn't long after that, that I, I had come out to, um, to most of my like friends and family and whatnot. And, and from then on, it was, it was, um, I openly dated women Um, but I will say that like through my substance abuse, um, I definitely, you know, through intoxication and doing things that, you know, didn't align with my values. Um, I did definitely date men or sleep with men, um, on those occasions. And that, uh, that was also just like super difficult, but yeah, I think that's really basically where it, my early twenties is where I really came out in the world. Yeah, that like sounds like that moment when you were eight or nine, like that's like a core memory and that's like extremely painful. And one that I think metaphorically lots of us can in the community can relate to, but like to be physically like feeling that rejection is like a whole different layer of shame. Um, And how confusing because like just seconds before you had, kissed and it was giggles and then the second time it's like what's the difference kind of thing um so one i'm sorry (laughs) you went through that but then two thank you so much for sharing that with us um that's not something easy to like necessarily just forget right Um, right 
And then two, also, I feel like so many people can relate to, I guess, trying to date like somebody who is, you know, opposite sex or, you know, trying to fit in. I think that's something that's extremely common. Um, you mentioned how when you would drink and get drunk, um, you would actually end up sleeping with men or I wonder if you're subconsciously, you were still trying to fit in. Um, do you know what I'm asking? Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Do, is that a part of your story at all? Um, I think so. I th- yes, because I, like I said, like I've always been followed by insecurities. And so, you know, wanting people to like me and not wanting people to find out who I am or, you know, all those things that, that come with shame and guilt. And, and I think, yeah, I mean, even to this day, like I have behaviors that obviously not near as significant or as like, um, detrimental, um, but wanting to fit in. And it, it, it's funny because I, I had gone to, before, before my first treatment, I had gone to a gay bar with some friends and I went home with a guy like, okay, that makes no sense. Um, like initially funny. What was that? And then really sad, right? Like, what was like, what was I thinking and what was in my heart and what was I really trying to, what was my goal with that? And so, yeah, definitely, I think a way to, to fit in and to be, you know, quote unquote, like within the norm. Um, but at the same time, really sad. And so I guess one thing that I think a common theme and one that I can relate to is like the desire to fit in and to exist among other people. Um, and of course, in this community, um, you know, for decades, maybe even hundreds of years, um, our safe havens have revolved around alcohol and drugs. And so, you know, I keep hearing you say, like, I just wanted to fit in or I didn't want people to find out who I am. How does becoming an alcoholic add into the mix? And what did having that shame on top of already being in the other uh, feel like? Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, I think for a lot of people, but I mean, of course, I'll speak for myself with the alcohol. Um, It allowed me to be a part of things. I wasn't just sitting on the sidelines. Um, Being sober, um, very shy, not wanting to be social and, and being able to, you know, have a few drinks and like be the life of the party. Like, this is what it feels like. And I, I, yeah, I really don't know where I, I got the notion of like need to fit in with people other than I think just within the societal norms, you know, what we were raised around and, and what that teaches us. And so, yeah, I think alcohol definitely was a, a carrier for helping me feel like more safe, um, numb. And, and making sure that I didn't have to deal with all those demons in my head. You know, when I'm drinking, they, they go away. And, um, or at least they did for a while, right? And I think alcohol and just generally anybody, no matter where you come from, straight, gay, lesbian, whatever, like everybody just wants to fit in and feel normal and seen. Um, but it is just very interesting with queer people. Um, we see like 
going to gay bars, doing what they think they're supposed to do. And then of course, developing like these really terrible habits, um, which of course are because of their past experiences. So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Mel, I really appreciate that you mentioned um, societal norms. Cause I think a lot of times as women, like we're taught to please other people before ourselves. And I see a little bit of that in your story also woven through. Um, so thank you just for bringing that, that up. Uh, also, I wanted to touch on, uh, I think we talk a lot about substance use. Uh, not a lot of times we talk about the marriage of, you know, other mental health um, disorders or eating disorders that are going on around the same time. Will you talk a little bit about how you manage that today? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the eating disorder is a little bit more tricky. I feel like because we need food, um, like it's something, you know, we don't necessarily, like we don't need alcohol to live. And, um, and the, the other thing I, I was going to mention earlier too, that I had kind of forgotten to mention was, um, I also am bipolar. And so when that was kind of, that was, I was diagnosed, I want to say 26 or 27. Um, and that took a lot of years of finding the right medication. Like that was not an easy process. Um, but now that I'm like, like stable and, um, you know, I'm, I take my medications on a regular basis and I, I do my meetings and I, um, fellowship and all that kind of stuff. Um, so my partner is a big help in the food area, you know, like we, we kind of just keep each other in check. Um, we, we eat a lot of our meals together. We plan a lot of our meals, which is really helpful. That is, that's really, really helpful in terms of that support. But the, yeah, the, the drinking definitely, the reason I stay sober is because I continue to maintain the relationships the sober relationships that I have, um, working with a sponsor and, um, continuing to do those things. Um, you know, that in itself for my alcoholism is my medicine. Um, you know, without that, I know that I, I won't stay sober. I've tried that. Um, doesn't work for me. And the eating disorder is a little more complex and complicated. Um, I still have days where, I, um, face more of a desire for like restriction. Um, and like, for example, like one of the biggest things, so we're officiating a wedding next week, um, together. And, um, we saw each other in our pantsuits. And the first thing I think of is like gross, like, um, and so I have to like check those things and like remind myself, like, Hey, you are worth it you know, and your, your body does not define like, like everything, right. Your body is just an ornament and, um, the spirit is what is more alive than anything. And so, um, I just have this vessel that gets me from A to B. And, um, so I just have to remember that, like, um, those things within within my eating habits because I I just that I still do struggle with more more than than like the urge to drink. Yeah, and that again is something I think a lot of people struggle with. Just the like, oh my gosh, I wish I looked different. Or now in this like self obsessed, I guess 
Instagram culture, can we call it, of just like perfection <laughs> that will never exist. And like shutting down the old narratives of like being bullied or feeling gross or feeling less than is like yeah. one of the things I think any human will ever have to go through. And it's a challenge that we go through, I think, every day. And so I think it's incredibly normal. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's, um, it was funny. I was, I was at the fair last week with my dad and it was just the two of us and we're sitting on the bench, people watching. And he goes, look at all these people. He's like, look at how different we all are. And like, none of us are the same. And look, we're not like Hollywood beautiful. And it just, I was like, whoa, dad, like, (laughs) where did that? I mean, that's really helpful. Like, you know, and I think very true. Um, and that's why I actually, I don't have like Instagram. I don't have Snapchat. I don't have those things because I know where my triggers are. And, um, and I, I don't want to get stuck in that. Um, so I do have boundaries with, with certain things because I know what will take me down a hole and what will lead me to be more successful. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned like the Hollywood look, because of course, like they all have like, well, one, they're probably using drugs. Um, two, they <laughs> have like obviously trainers and access to dietitians that just normal everyday working class Americans don't. But then also like just the other day, I read an article about Zac Efron, who after training for this film, de- developed like this massive depression because of his workout regimen and the foods he was eating. Like he, you know, in theory was taking care of himself and you know, being super muscular and limiting body fat and X, Y, and Z, but it was, he was miserable. And so yeah. like having like 0% body fat does not constitute happiness. Like, at right. all. yeah, I'm really happy that he came forward and said something. Um, cause of course people look to him as like, you know, a God. Um, right. And so, uh, yeah. And good for your dad for recognizing that too. <laughs> yeah. He's, he has interesting thoughts at times. Um, but yeah, one more thing I'll add on to that that you just mentioned was um, it's it, no matter how thin I got, um, my feelings never changed. I was never, I never got to that head. And no matter how much I drank, you know, it, it, I never, you know, reached those desirable feelings. It just, that never happened. And so just important to know that in, in those stages, we think we're, you know, at least I thought I was like, you know, going to be or feel a certain way. And it just, I didn't, you know, if anything, I felt more hollow, more empty. Well, now it sounds like you've spent a lot of time getting to know yourself, which I commend you on doing because that's not always easy to sit with like your demons, if you will, and, you know, look them in the face. So good for you for keeping on continuing, um, even, even with all of the, the challenges you've faced. I just want to thank, yeah, thank you. you. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here today. Um, yeah, totally. Us. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Mel. Happy to be here. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Proud Voices. You can find us where you find all your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to follow and subscribe. And we'll see you next time.